Well, a week ago, our gospel reading from the gospel according to St. Mark included these words. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Part of Father Ethan's sermon last week was this point. Jesus announced the kingdom of God was at hand because the king was at hand, Jesus. And wherever Jesus is, the kingdom is. Sam Bronfman is the late CEO of the Seagram Company. Entered into a crowded conference room and he was anxious to get on with the meeting. So he just plopped himself down into the nearest chair. One of his young assistants immediately said, no, no, Mr. Bronfman, you're, you're supposed to be at the head of the table. Young man replied, Mr. Bronfman, wherever I sit is the head of the table. <laughs> Jesus is the king, and wherever Jesus is, there is the kingdom. So in our gospel reading today, we hear what kind of king Jesus is, or we see what kind of authority the king has within his kingdom, within this created world. Authority is kind of a weird word, right? Say it about five times and you'll quickly wonder why we're saying it at all. But the word authority carries with it a meaning that, uh, and a concept that, that we really can't explain very well. At least I can't. I know what authority is. I know what it looks like. I've seen authority abused and I've seen authority misused and I've seen authority used well. But how do we explain it, and what really is it? Authority, in a simple way, is simply the ability to get things done. And authority, because it's the ability to get things done, is connected to power, right? Authority is the right or the privilege to have power or control over something or over someone, so when we say that Jesus is the king with authority, we, we're saying that he has the privilege to exercise power over his kingdom, that he has the right to control his kingdom. And this morning, uh, from our gospel reading in, in Mark, we, we see that Jesus is the king with authority in word and in deed. And we're saying then that Jesus has the right and the privilege to exercise power and control in what he says and in what he does. And we see that this morning in our gospel, in a synagogue in Capernaum. St. Mark writes, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. The synagogue is that place of informal worship uh, and religious instruction. It had developed during the historical period in which the Jewish people had no or very limited access to the temple. And it was a common practice to have visiting rabbis, visiting teachers, to be invited to participate in the services and participate in the instruction of the day. They would be invited to read scripture, they'd be invited to teach from scripture, and so this seems to be what happens to Jesus on this Sabbath in this synagogue in Capernaum. Already, already with the reputation that is preceding him, Jesus was extended the, the courteous invitation to teach in the synagogue. 
And when he did, as he so often does, he blew their minds. They were astonished at his teaching, St. Mark tells us, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The scribes were scholars. They were experts in the interpretation of the law and prophets. And when they taught, they did so by, by citing evidence, by citing previous scholars as the basis for their teaching. Thus, they're relying on the authority of others. They would say such things as, make sure you wash the bowl three times before you eat, because Rabbi Gamaliel says XXX, right? Apparently, that's not what Jesus was doing. And maybe an example can help us understand this a little bit more. St. Mark is, I think, the, the, perfect, the perfect gospel uh, for the cultural mood of our time, uh, because St. Mark moves very quickly from, from thing to thing, and for those of us who struggle with uh, a very limited attention span, St. Mark gets to the point very quickly. But he leaves out some details that the other Gospels fill in. So St. Mark doesn't spend much time talking about the content of Jesus' teaching, whereas St. Matthew gives us very large chunks of Jesus' teaching. And so how does Jesus teach, and what does Jesus teach? This morning, we're going to look at the gospel, or the, the gospel of St. Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, to fill in some of these blanks. In chapters 5 through 7 of St. Matthew's gospel, we read the Sermon on the Mount, and, and there St. Matthew tells us that the crowd responded to Jesus' teaching. This should sound very familiar. They were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So what was Jesus doing? In the Sermon on the Mount, as in most of the teachings of Jesus found in all the gospel narratives, Jesus doesn't appeal to another individual teacher for support. He doesn't have any interest in what Rabbi Gamaliel or Rabbi Shlomo or Rabbi Glockenspiel had to say about any particular subject. He's teaching as his own authority. He's teaching his own position. He simply states it. He simply teaches it. Jesus, in his teaching, basically says, this is the way it is, and then leaves it at that. He doesn't need or want someone else to back him up. Does that make sense? And when Jesus does appeal to scribes in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, when Jesus does appeal to scribes or other teachers, it is actually with the express purpose of contradicting them. Basically saying then to all those who are relying on the scribes, yeah, your scribes are great, but they're wrong. In the Sermon on the Mount especially, Jesus has a repeated refrain, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And what we see in these examples from St. Matthew and what seems to be what's happening here in Mark's gospel is that Jesus is the king who has the authority to tell people about the kingdom and about what life was to look like and what life was to be like in the kingdom. To have such privilege and right, to have such authority, points us to who Jesus is, and it points us to the unique relationship that Jesus has with God the Father. He's the king of the kingdom. He's the anointed one, the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the, all the promises of the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of the promise we heard Doug read for us this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. 
It is to him you shall listen. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Jesus has the authority of the king speaking the very words of God as the incarnate son of God. Jesus has the right and the privilege to exercise power and control in word because he is the Messiah, the anointed one sent by God and the prophet like Moses. He's the king with authority in word. And this early in the gospel, they can't really understand that. We're in chapter one after all. And by the end of Mark's gospel, there are folks who really still can't understand it. What they're seeing is a man who is unlike any other rabbi they've ever had in their synagogue, speaking on his own authority, authority in word. And then this amazing thing breaks out. Immediately, we're told by Mark, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he interrupts Jesus' preaching. Think about that. One of those truths that we, about life that we learn at a very early age is this. It's one thing to say you can do something. It's one thing to say that you are something. But it is a completely different ball of wax to actually be able to do that thing, right? To be able to say that thing. I could tell you all day that I'm a fantastic hockey player like Austin Atwell. But then you put the ice skates on me and you realize... I can't skate not only to save my life, I can't skate, period, right? Like Chris Cannon found out in Dallas when he went ice skating. Still recovering, aren't you, Chris? Yeah. And so it's one thing for Jesus to come into the crowd and say, I'm bringing the kingdom. But it's another thing for him to actually do it. It's one thing for him to say, I've come to reorder creation, and it's another thing for him to do it. And so Jesus, in his miracles, in the signs, and the wonders that he performs, he actually begins to do that what he's talking about. He begins to bring the kingdom. He begins to reorder creation, the fallen creation, as he exerts his authority over sin, sickness, decay, evil demons, and eventually even death. Jesus' kingly authority extends into cosmic levels beyond that that we can see. And St. Mark is very quick to get to this point. Immediately, while Jesus is preaching, I think about the, the gall, the, the guts, the courage, the, the utter stupidity of a demon to interrupt Jesus in the midst of his preaching and say, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This demon comes out swinging. He's asking questions of Jesus. He's, he's trying to seize the microphone, so to speak, away from Jesus. He's trying to put Jesus on the defensive as if the king has to answer to some runt. Maybe here uh, the demon is trying to get Jesus off his game by talking about his power, by talking about his identity before Jesus is ready to fully explain. But Jesus has the authority of the king. And he just says, be silent and come out of him. I will confess to you that sometimes my, my mind takes me to places that when I read scripture that, that maybe it's not supposed to go. But when I read this this morning, and when I read this at working on this sermon, 
when Jesus says, be silent and come out of him, I thought of Dikembe Mutombo. Do you guys know who Dikembe Mutombo is? Remember Dikembe Mutombo? Some, please, somebody in here. All right, thank you. One person. All right, so this illustration is all for you. Dikembe Mutombo is, a, is he, he's still alive. He is like a seven foot one, seven foot two giant of a man who is a Hall of Fame basketball player. He uh, played at Georgetown University with Alonzo Mourning in the early 90s, early to mid-90s. He played in the NBA for a long time. Dikembe Mutombo had this way of blocking shots, right? And when he blocked a shot, he would wag his finger in the shooter's face, basically saying, not today. Not today. So some basketball player, some pipsqueak of a guard would drive the lane, throw up some soft layup, and Mutombo would just jack that thing into like the fourth row and then go, not today, right? Shake his finger. So when, I, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm reading this and Jesus rebukes him and says, be silent, come out of him, I just see Jesus swatting this demon. It's not today, Satan. Not today. Which is probably irreverent of me. You might want to be careful, Al. Lightning's going to strike, and I don't want you to get caught in the splatter. But Jesus sends the demon away. Not today, Satan. It's not going to happen. You don't get to do this. Why? Because Jesus has the authority of the king. The authority indeed to deal with evil. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, convulsing the man, and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. The exit is violent because the conflict is real. The exit is violent because the conflict is serious. The exit is physical, and it is spiritual. But before the authority of Jesus, the powers of evil have no strength, no force, as he brings the kingdom to bear upon this fallen creation. And again, St. Mark tells us of the crowd's reaction. They were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, Who is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Who is this? We've never seen anything like this. A rabbi who speaks in his own authority, a rabbi who is saying amazing things, different things, unusual things. And a rabbi who does what none other have ever done. How is this possible? What's happening? Who is this man? The king, with this kind of authority, authority in word and authority in deed, was more than they had bargained for. Their hopes and their expectations for the Messiah, for the anointed one, were far too small. They were far too limited. They would have been satisfied with the king to come and raise up an army and kick out the Romans. They would have been happy with the king who would just reestablish the borders of Israel. But Jesus, the king with authority in word and deed, is far greater, far more glorious, and like Obi-Wan Kenobi, struck down by Darth Vader, is far more powerful than they and we could possibly imagine. He wages war on a cosmic level, fighting sin, evil, demons, decay, death, and Satan himself. Jesus' conflict as king is not with Rome. It's with what Rome represents. And his kingdom won't and can't be bound up by some man-made line in the sand. Their imaginations are far too small and far too limited. Because Jesus is the king who has real power and thus has the privilege, the right to command even the agents of hell. He has authority because he is the king. We come away from this passage with this big idea that Jesus is the king with authority and word and deed. 
And I think we need to consider three implications. These are not the only implications. These are just the three implications that, that the Lord brought to my mind. Jesus is the king. Only Jesus brings the kingdom because only Jesus is the king. And so it is, we have to deal with him. We have to. My Father Ethan said last week, there is no place for ambivalence or indifference when it comes to the person of Jesus the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the King. We must deal with who he is. We must heed his call. We must come into his kingdom with repentance and belief in the gospel of God. All of humanity is called to enter into the kingdom of God by believing in the king appointed and anointed by God, Jesus, and coming under his rule and his reign. Coming into the kingdom then means something. It means he is in control, and it means we are not. And not many of us like to hear that. It's okay. The idea of being in control is something that's near and dear to our hearts. And one of the things that the King Jesus has to do is really kick our own diminutive little selves off the thrones of our hearts so that he can sit there, so that he can rule, and so that he can reign. And that is uncomfortable, and that is difficult, but it is grace for it to happen. It isn't comfortable. As J.I. Packer once quipped, it needs to be said loud and clear that in the kingdom of God, there ain't no comfort zone and never will be. Jesus is the king, and only Jesus is worthy of our faith, of our worship. Only Jesus is worthy of our lives. The second, second implication, Jesus is the king who has authority in word. As individual believers and as a body of believers, as a church, we must take our instruction from Jesus, from our king. And so what Jesus says, do, we do, regardless of what the culture says to do. Because those two things don't often line up. And what Jesus says we don't do, we really ought not do, regardless of what the culture says, because those two things don't often line up. We're called to grow in our love and our knowledge of Jesus. We're called to know the king and the teaching of the king. At the end of his gospel, St. Matthew says that we who know and believe in Jesus as we grow in our love and knowledge of Jesus are then to turn around and teach what the king has taught. We're called to believe what the king teaches. We're called to live what the king teaches. We're called to teach what the king teaches. Jesus has authority. He's the king in word. And finally, this morning, Jesus the king has authority in deed. The king conquers. His conquest doesn't look like what the people of Israel, the people of the Jewish faith at the time, expected the Messiah's conquest to look. They expected an enthronement. They expected an ascension in glory and in power. And what they saw in Jesus was an ascension upon the cross. Jesus the king conquers, and he, he doesn't just deal with trifling little pesky pipsqueak demons who interrupt his sermon. He doesn't deal just with Rome. He doesn't deal with those things. Jesus deals with all of them. He takes them all on and he defeats them all. His war against sin, evil, death, demons, and the devil will take him to the cross where the powers of evil will do their worst. We see from the Apostles' Creed that the, the, his war against sin and evil, death, demons, and the devil will take him down into the dead 
where he storms the gates of hell, plants his flag, kicks open the cage, and leads the captives free. His war against sin, evil, death, demons, and the devil will take him to the cross where the powers of evil will do their worst only to stand impotent and broken before the glory of the resurrection and an empty tomb. And Jesus does get his ascension after the cross, after the resurrection, when God raises him to be seated on high at the right hand of the Father, where he waits until his enemies become his footstool. So Jesus has authority indeed, and his victory over the forces of evil is decisive, and because of where Jesus now sits as it is being worked out, it will be decisive. Jesus the King has authority indeed, and his deeds deliver, because Jesus defeats evil, every aspect of it. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, Jesus' words, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, are no less true today than they were then. We probably ought to listen to what he says. Repent and believe in the gospel. Trust in the king. Hear his words. Receive his delivering deeds. And hear the king say, welcome to the kingdom. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.